Okay, okay. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk Church. Welcome to all of you who are in the room with me uh, right now and who are giggling at me right now. So welcome to you. All of those of you who are watching at one of our sites, uh, Blackhawk Downtown, Blackhawk Fitchburg, those of you who are in Gospel Fusion and Traditions, those of you who speak uh, Spanish, Bienvenido a Blackhawk, and those Mandarin speakers, Dijong Zimei, Ping An. So just welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, to everyone. Hey, everybody, wasn't last week's Easter Sunday, was that fantastic or what? Was that great? I'm telling you, yeah. Like we, what's wrong with celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Like, whoa, that's fantastic. And it's just, it was a great, great uh, service. We had uh, so many people coming back and uh, maybe for the first time. So that was cool. Our adult in-person attendance was well over 4,000 uh, last week, all sites and venues, and our online attendance was over 1,000. It's what it is about every uh, week, so that's we're kind of getting back. It feels like we're getting back to pre-COVID, and so that's uh, really cool, but probably more important than anything else is this. We had several people place their faith in Jesus Christ for their first time uh, last week. Let's hear it for those folks. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. So I just love it when people come to faith in Christ, and I love to hear the stories when people come to faith in Christ and kind of what led them to that uh, moment. If you're like me and you like to hear those kind of things, then this uh, Friday there is a baptism uh, service, and that baptism service is going to be from 6 to 8 p.m., and it's like my wife and I, it's like one of our favorite services of the year because we come and hear the different stories. We've like videotaped these folks, and you know, not on that night, but a different time, and they tell their testimony, and it is just so encouraging. You guys, listen, there's a lot of bad news in the world today, like, duh. If you want to get encouraged, if you want to be encouraged, okay, <laughs> stop watching television, come to Blackhawk, watch the baptism service, and this will encourage your socks off. There you go. So back to Easter. So listen, uh, great talk. Matt's going to be mad at me for saying this, but that was a great talk. It's really uh, difficult. Uh, here's something that you might not, not know. From a speaker's perspective, not from your perspective, a speaker's perspective, there are two very difficult t- talks during the year. They're the hardest talks. Whenever you go to a pastor's conference, they always talk about the same thing. You know what those two talks are? Easter, and what's the other one? Christmas. Yeah, you go, there's going to be a bunch of pastors here and from our denomination on Monday, and uh, everybody will be walking around going, what you do for Easter? What you do for Easter? What you do for Easter? They're difficult talks. Why are they difficult talks? Because everybody knows the story. There's no mystery. Like, I don't think, that, there might have been a few people, but most people that come to an Easter message in Madison, in this year, nobody's coming in and saying, I had no idea that Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And at Christmas, nobody's saying, oh, little town of Bethlehem, that's a cool story. Never heard of that before. How you guys doing? You follow me? So because, because you, you all know where the speaker's going, it makes it it's a challenge. It's just a challenge. So 
on our side of the platform, speakers were always going, hey, what'd you do for Easter? What'd you do for Easter? And so that's what's going to happen tomorrow at this conference. And people are going to write things in. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And Matt dropping a yellow peep from a ladder and like <laughs> cause and effect, you know, taking that old song from Bill and Gloria Gaither, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. And then Hannah and Coley redid that song. I was like, what? People come to faith in Christ. Awesome. Awesome. So where we're going to go for the next seven weeks is completely the opposite. <laughs> because I could ask you to tell me the story of Christmas, tell me the story of Easter, and pretty much 100% of you could do it. But if I said to you, tell me what the book of Micah is about, hmm, wow, whoa, yeah, you would know. Micah is a, it's a flyover book. You know, like Wisconsin is flyover country for most of the people in the United States. You know, people on the coast, you know, they fly across the Midwest. And Wisconsin is, you, you say you're from Wisconsin. They go, oh, that's a good time. I've flown over, but I've never been, actually been there. People know about Wisconsin. They know about the Packers. Now they know about the Bucks. They know about the Brewers. They know about cheese. But you go, how do you like to live in Wisconsin? I've never actually been there. How many of you have had conversations with people like that? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. It's flyover. People know about it, but like, nah, never really spent any time there. That's what Micah's like. It's a, it's a flyover book. Difficult to read, difficult to understand, and so we go, eh, whatever, we're just going to fly over that. So for the next seven weeks, we're not going to fly over Micah. We're actually going to land in Micah and spend some time there. So we're calling uh, this series uh, Micah. This just got serious. Ooh. So everybody take your Bibles and turn to... No, don't do that. Because I don't want to embarrass you. Most of you probably can't find the book of Micah anyway. It's next to Nahum, if that helps anybody. <laughs> so instead of me just kind of um, going to Micah right away, let me do a little background about what the book of Micah is about. How's that? Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, have you noticed I've been saying that a lot, least? <laughs> Micah is, uh, is prophetic literature. And you got a lot of it in your Bible right now. The amount of prophetic literature you have in your Bible is as great as the New Testament that you have in your Bible. You have that much prophetic literature. But most of us just fly over it. Many of us divide the prophetic literature into two different kinds. We call it uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those four books. And then the minor prophets, and it's all 12 of those. And you can see that Micah is one of those. I really don't like that title, Major and Minor Prophets. It sounds like you're talking about the varsity and the junior varsity. It's like these are really important books and these are not so important books. You know how we got that term, Major and Minor Prophets? It has to do with uh, originally the scroll size. 
So Isaiah would fit on one scroll, Jeremiah on one scroll, Ezekiel, Daniel on one. They'd fit each book on one scroll. But these 12, you could put them all together on one scroll. So that's why they designate the major and minor prophets. But yeah, I'm not so sure I like that term anymore because it, it's misleading. Because every one of the prophets is major. They're all important. So what's a prophet? What's a prophet? A prophet is simply a spokesperson for God. Prophets speak for God. They don't care if you remember a thing about them. They just want you to get the message from God. We're familiar with that concept because uh, our culture today is filled with all kinds of spokespeople, and you don't really know much about the spokespeople at all, but you know what they represent. That's for sure. Let me test uh, that little uh, thesis right now. How many of you have ever heard of this woman right there? Don't Google her name. Don't Google her name. If you've heard of this woman, uh, raise your hand. Stephanie Courtney, all sites and venues, raise your hand if you've heard this. I don't see one hand in here. Stephanie Courtney. Here is a picture of Stephanie Courtney. Whoa. Like, oh, that's Flo. You guys really think her name is Flo? Yeah, Stephanie doesn't care if you know who she is at all. She cares that you know something about progressive. How are we doing? Spokesperson. Here's another one. Kevin Miles. Don't Google his name. Anybody ever know? Kevin Miles. Who's Kevin Miles? Nobody. Nobody. This is Kevin Miles right here. Jake from State Farm. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. You should hear yourself. Oh, yeah. These are spokespeople. And that's what a prophet is. A prophet represents progressive and... No, no, no. A prophet is a spokesperson. And they don't care if you know much about them. Just like Stephanie and Kevin. They care that you get the message that's behind them. Spokespeople for God. When prophets speak for God, what do they proclaim? Prophets generally proclaim two things, judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. They proclaim uh, judgment Prophets proclaim judgment because the people failed to keep the covenant God made with Israel. Key word right there. Prophets proclaim judgment because the people failed to keep the covenant that God made with them. What's a covenant? Covenant is a, 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 it's a, it's something that people make when they love each other. A covenant is something that maybe you've made with uh, your best friends. When you say, you say to your best friends, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to be there for you. That's like, like a covenant. It's not a contract. A covenant is based on a deep, intimate relationship that you're going to have with someone else. You're, and you're committing to be with them and to back them up and to be there for them all the time. I made a covenant with someone once, and it was so important to us, we actually had someone come and take a picture of the event. And here's a photo from that event right now. There you go. Guess who that is? 
Yeah, that's Rebecca Jane Cole and Christopher William Dolson. And that's about 44 years ago. August the 26th, 1978. And I want you to notice something about this picture. Look at our eyes. Look at our eyes. My wife says that this is a perfect metaphor for our relationship right there. (laughs) We're together, but she's thinking one thing and I'm thinking something completely different. It looks like we're on the same page, but no, no, no. We're really not on the same page. And uh, another thing about this picture, it's kind of interesting. This is for some of you in the audience. There was a time when you didn't actually know what the photo was going to look like until like a week later, and it actually came back from a store. (laughs) I know that's kind of like mind-blowing, but that's how old I am. Now, we made a covenant with each other, and it was a serious covenant, and we were serious about it. I was scared to death, actually. (laughs) Five minutes before uh, we made the covenant, I wasn't even in the building. I was, was like, gone, and man, that's that's another story. (laughs) That's a wild stallion. If we went down that way, we'd go, oh, my gosh. Anyway, I was scared to death because I knew it was serious. You know, for better, for worse, richer, for poorer. Sickness and health till what? Death. Death. Yeah, wow. Whoa, whoa. So serious. Let's imagine. This is just an exercise in imagination, you guys, okay? All right? All right. Let's just imagine that... Um, As we were in our covenant relationship, I failed to keep uh, the stipulations of our covenant. Let's say one of the stipulations is that we'd actually live together. Let's imagine that I would uh, regularly not come home at night. I'd just not come home. And didn't tell her anything about it. Just wouldn't come home. Maybe for like, you know, a long period of time. And then let's imagine that she would look at me and she says, well, where have you been? And then I, I would say to her, It's none of your business. (laughs) Can you imagine me saying that to my wife? (laughs) None of your business? Whoop, duck, you know, like that, you know? (laughs) I get a little, this is true. I actually got a little shiver down my spine. As I said, like, imagine me saying that to Becky. None of your business. Oh, oh God. (laughs) Let's just imagine I did that. And then I could tell that she would be upset. So, that, you know, I'm just I was like, well, I'm going to appease her anger. So I'm going to bring her chocolates and coffee and roses, more chocolate, more chocolate, more chocolate. What would she do with that chocolate? She would throw it back into my face. She said, I don't want your chocolates. I don't want your roses. I want you. I want you. What, what happened? Maybe we'd even get to a point where we would like go to a counselor. And I'd sit down and talk to the counselor. And he says, well, you know, you have some stipulations with this covenant you made. You know, like you're supposed to live together, you know. And I said, well, you know, I just decided I don't want to live with her, you know. And she keeps wanting to know where I am. I don't think it's any of her business. And you know what? I bring her chocolates and roses. I mean, you know, that would be. <laughs> what would the counselor do? He would look at me and he would say, you're an idiot. 
She doesn't want chocolates and roses. She wants you. Micah is like a marriage counselor. Yahweh had made a covenant with Israel. And Israel is like, what? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. None of your business. And Micah, like a marriage counselor, is, is confronting, is confronting Israel. If in that scenario, if I, ha- if I would repent and confess, then maybe our relationship would have a chance. But if I didn't repent and confess and change my behavior, I'd probably end up standing in front of a judge pretty quickly, actually. That's what Micah is like. He is like a marriage counselor. He's going to confront, but he'll also give us hope. Now, take your Bibles, do your best to try to find the book of Micah. Book of Micah. It's in the Old Testament. So if you've gone to Isaiah, you've gone too far back, a little bit towards Matthew, there's a bunch of books there together, right before Nahum, book of Micah. We'll read through it, and I'll have most of the verses on the screen. Here we go. Micah 1. One. The word of Yahweh, remember when Lord is in all caps, it's his name, Yahweh. The word of Yahweh that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. These kings, big deal. It puts it in the timeline for us. And so we go, oh, yeah, totally. Well, no, most of us go like, I have no idea what you're talking about right here. Like, who are these guys? These guys reigned over a period of like 56 years. And so it would be like me uh, going back to the days of 1966 or something and talking about, you know, uh, the, the days of uh, uh, LBJ or, or then the days of Nixon. And then we talk about, and then we maybe talk about Clinton. And then maybe we talk a, a little bit about uh, Obama. You know, that. so he's squeezing in 56 years in this book. Now, when do these guys reign? To place them uh, kind of in a timeline, I've got a chronological map that is conveniently located on the platform. So let's go to that map uh, right now. Let's say that this represents uh, the birth of Jesus, and he was born in a little town of? You guys are quiet about that? You know, I was wrong. I thought you actually knew the story. This represents Bethlehem right here, okay? So let's go back 2,000 years. We're going back in time as far as we are removed from Jesus 2,000 years, that way. 2,000 years the other way was this man who lived and three major world religions uh, call him the founder. His name was Abraham. And God made a covenant with Abraham. 
He made this covenant. The stipulations of the covenant were made very clear 500 years later, 1,500 years before Christ. This guy goes up on this mountain, and he comes back with these tablets. His name is? Moses, Moses. And these are clear covenant stipulations, and there's a lot of them. The law was given because God wanted to help his people understand what this relationship should really, really look like. 500 years after that, there was this great king. He took a a sling and he killed a giant. His name was? David. David had a son named Solomon. When Solomon died in 929 before Christ, then the kingdom was split into two, two parts. And you can see the map as it was split. On the north, it was Israel. And on the south, there was Judah. The capital of Israel was, Israel was Samaria. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And then there was many, many kings that reigned. The kings of the north and the kings of the south. Kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And then 500 years before Christ, the book of Malachi and everything had completely just dissolved. And by the time of Jesus in Bethlehem, There is no political entity called Israel. It's completely wiped out because of a whole bunch of invasions that took place. Those kings of Judah that we just saw in 1-1 happened right about here. That's the timeline that we're looking at. How are you guys doing with that? Okay? All right. Let's keep going in the book. Hear you peoples. All of you listen, earth, and all who live in it. That the sovereign Yahweh may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, Yahweh is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him, and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Okay, (laughs) there you go. Those are opening words. Like, you can see why people fly over the book. Right? Because it's wrath. It's judgment. And like, who needs that? We don't want to listen to that. So this is God's judgment. And Micah is the spokesperson for God. So he's using poetic, figurative language about things that are melting and fire and it's like God is coming down and there's wrath. And what Micah is doing is he's he's telling them what's happening behind the scenes because what they're seeing, their physical reality, is they're seeing a king from Assyria named Sennacherib and his warriors are destroying the land. That's what they see in real time. And Micah says, let me tell you what's really going on. Sennacherib, that foreign king, he represents the wrath of God. And he's coming down to judge you. Why? Why is this taking place? Go back to verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people of Israel. What were the sins of the people of Israel? (laughs) They were many. Here's a list. 
worshiping other gods, practicing child sacrifice, practicing divination, practicing cult prostitution, depriving justice to the oppressed and the poor. When we just pick up uh, one of the prophets, we just think, oh, this is like really harsh. (laughs) But Micah is as far removed from King David as we are from George Washington. This is hundreds of years, hundreds of years. People, God's people, practicing, like other nations, child sacrifice. Some of it in the temple. They're practicing the the kind of laws that God wanted them to have to be obedient to him, would be kind to the poor, a different kind of place, a place filled with justice and mercy, not like the other nations. And they were failing, failing, failing. And God sent prophet after prophet after marriage counselor after marriage after marriage counselor after marriage counselor confronting them and saying, if you turn, there's hope over and over again. So we don't, we don't have to wonder what Micah is about. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 8. This is the purpose of the book of Micah. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Here, this is the second time we've seen this. Jacob's transgression. Second time we've seen that. So what is Jacob's transgression? What is, what is it really? I mean, all those sins. Yeah, it's all those sins, but it's, it's more than that. Jacob's transgression is the fact that Israel has broken the heart of, broken the heart of God. It's broken the heart of God. Because God, God, God has plans for these people. In the covenant uh, stipulations, uh, we read in Exodus chapter 19, He calls them his his treasured possession. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. They will be completely different from all the other nations. In Deuteronomy 4, we read this. Observe these commands Carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all the decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding peoples. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? They had laws that stopped debt. Debt was supposed to be forgiven after seven years. That means there's no permanent poverty in your nation. They had laws about taking care of the immigrants. They had all of these laws, and they were just vastly different from the other nations. And God strategically placed them in a perfect place so that all the other nations could see what was happening. Look at this map. This is the eastern Mediterranean, and you can see where Israel and Judah are. And so you have these trade routes that are coming up from Egypt and from Africa, coming over from Europe and from Asia. Nobody walks here, you guys. That's the desert. So you have to go through this. And God placed, it's a strategic place. 
He placed his nation there so that other people would see how merciful and loving and just and wonderful these people were. But they blew it. They blew it. And they became like all the other nations. And they practiced injustice. God said to them, it's all about justice. You want to keep this land? You have to be just. You read that in Deuteronomy. Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. But they did not. So Micah comes to them and says, well, the purpose of the book of Micah is Micah 3.8. But as for me, I'm filled with power and with justice. He's not giving his own opinion. He's speaking for Yahweh. So what's that? What's justice? Our English word justice translates to Hebrew word. How you guys doing? Am I, I'm kind of yelling, aren't I? So uh, our Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is mishpat. Everybody say this word with me, mishpat. Uh, we read this way, and Hebrew people read this. That's their M right there. That's their T. So it's mishpat, mishpat. Say it again. All right. Demonstrate some mishpat right now. See if I don't mess this up. So these are some stacking cups. Mishpat, justice, is about putting things in, a, in an order, in a particular way. No, not mishpat. Mishpat. That's, no, that's not, not mishpat. This is, what's the Hebrew word for justice? I didn't hear you. When I put this on there, the Hebrew word is? Mishpat. Mishpat, mishpat, not mishpat, not mishpat, oh, not mishpat, oh, mishpat, mishpat, finally, the Hebrew word for justice is mishpat. In order to help kind of ingrain this in your mind, I decided that my research assistant should help me with uh, demonstrating uh, this. So, did you guys know that when I became emeritus, I got a research assistant? Did you guys know that? I said, that's, the, that's part of the deal. I'm not coming on without my research assistant. So, they were saying, okay, okay, okay. So, uh, she's helped me with this. So, here she is. Watch this video. Yeah, Sienna Jane Lazar, you guys, my 10-month-old granddaughter. There you go. So Mishpat is about um, putting things uh, together in an, orderly, in an orderly way, in an orderly way. And it's, whoa, <laughs> oh, come back. And it takes time uh, to do Mishpat. Oh, oh. And sometimes it's sometimes hard to do Mishpat. It takes energy 
to do mishpah. It's not easy to do mishpah. And it's complicated, complex. It's not simple. What's the word? Shy. This one here. This one. No, 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 no. All right? They're numbered also. That helps me. To... <laughs> Mishpat, right? Well, mm, mm, mm. and it's hard. You got to figure it out. It's not easy. Complex. Mishpat. The role of Mishpat is to bring order to chaos. Mishpat asks the question, that's, that's not right. That, that's, not, that's not right. That's not right. That's right. That's right. It brings order. And God loves Mishpat. <laughs> and he's designed the world to work a certain way. But the nation of Israel moved far away from God, and they could care less about Mishpat. And we read that in chapter 3. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not Yahweh among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, a temple, a hill, a mound. Overgrown thickets because they ignored. This is when you can participate in the message. They ignored Mishpah. Yahweh loves Mishpah. But it's hard and it's complex. How you going? You doing? You okay? Here's where we're going in the series. I'm supposed to introduce the book today. Next week, what do the people do wrong? Week after that, what do the leaders do wrong? Week after that, what does Yahweh require from his people? And then May 22nd, really unique opportunity for us, we can actually practice Mishpat. We can actually practice that in, in our city. And then hope. Here, here's what the world will look like when Yahweh rules, and there is Mishpat. And hope Yahweh pardons sin and forgives transgressions. It's very important to know that Micah uh, is about judgment and hope, and it ends on a great note of hope. About 10 years after we initiated our covenant with each other, Sunshine and I ran into some difficulties in our marriage, and they were intense. You know, every story I tell about her, I obviously have her permission, so many of you already know this, but uh, my wife is an adult child of an alcoholic. And so life in her home was very dysfunctional, very difficult. Her mom died when she was 14. Her dad left the home for a year, and he was an alcoholic. He went out and married another alcoholic, met in a bar. 
And then they blended their families together, and it was super dysfunctional. So, When we initiated our covenant with each other, obviously, uh, we knew about the dysfunctional background, and we suspected that uh, we were probably going to run into struggles someday. And 10 years after we were married, I was in the middle of a ministry in Shreveport, Louisiana, it got really difficult. I mean, when your wife's sitting on the floor in the kitchen, she's crying her eyes out and screaming, and she's saying all kinds of things. You go, something's wrong here. So we found a counselor. And we went to the counselor. And when we went to the counselor, we explained to the counselor uh, our story. We were kind of like, it was bad. And... Um, a counselor heard a story about uh, she'd been an adult child of alcoholic. He's very familiar with that. And he, and he, and he looked at this and he said, you know, I, I, I want to give you hope because I feel like there's some things that we can do that will, will help as we can talk about, uh, you know, Becky, your background. And think, I think, I, I think there's, there's hope for, for this. And then he turned his chair and looked at me and said, now, Chris, I'd like to talk to you about some things you're doing in the marriage that are really hurting the marriage. I'm thinking, what, 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 what? I started to sweat. My heart started to beat. I'm thinking, what, 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 what? He's talking, he's talking to me. Does he not know I'm a pastor? I mean, what, 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 what? <laughs> and he started to confront me about some things that I was doing in our marriage that was exacerbating the situation. And I began to cry. It just so happened that the counselor was about an hour drive from where we lived in Louisiana. And my wife will tell you, when we drove back that hour drive, at first it started, it was quiet. But then we began to talk. And she could see that I was starting to get it. She'd tell you that that drive gave her hope. For the next seven weeks, the teaching team is going to Go through the book of Micah. And if we do our job, we should all feel confronted. We should all feel confronted. But we should all, all have hope. We on the teaching team believe there's no flyover books in the Bible. We believe they're all important, even though some of them are very difficult to read. And we believe that the church of Jesus Christ is like a sleeping giant. And if the church of Jesus Christ cared about justice as much as God cares about justice, we would be living in a completely different world today. If we cared about justice like God cares about justice, things would be completely different. The church has ignored justice. 
God wants to confront us, but give us hope. Welcome to the book of Micah. This just got serious. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to be open to the way in which your spirit can work in our minds and in our hearts as we open a book of the Bible that most of us have trouble finding. And that we see that what was written um, 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem can just be like a laser on our hearts and can pierce through all kinds of things because your spirit is powerful and your spirit is behind the words of Micah. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be humble, to be able to confess sin, and to be able to listen to what Micah says to us. And that Micah not only would judge us, convict us, but that Micah would give us hope. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said.